Hello, and welcome to American Riviera Bank's Regional Pulse. This is Laurel Sykes, Chief Compliance and Risk Officer at the bank. And April is National Financial Literacy Month. So today we're going to be discussing some of the financial literacy challenges and efforts that are taking place here on the Central Coast. Um, We're going to do this as part of a two-part series uh, where we're leading with financial literacy and what we can do to support efforts in that realm. And then we're also going to talk about the broader implications of COVID on the educational programs here on the Central Coast. Um, We're fortunate to have some guests here today. I have Rob Schiff, longtime educator and AVID coordinator with the Santa Barbara School District, and also Chelsea Duffy, executive director at Partners in Education. And lastly, Melinda Cabrera, director of strategic partnerships at United Way of Santa Barbara. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, I thought we would start with talking a little bit about um, how COVID has impacted students in your program and, and what's been successful and what not so successful. Rob, why don't we start with you? Uh, yeah, I think like in general, the the pandemic has kind of shined a light on the inequities that we have across our society. AVID stands for Advancement via Individual Determination. I don't know if everybody's familiar with it, they tend to be from families that are financially challenged and historically underserved communities. Um, they don't have a history of college in the family, but they're identified as decent students that have already kind of shown the internal motivation to become great students at the elementary, junior high, and high school level. Uh, and at the high school level, we keep them for four years. So it ends up being kind of like a, a family situation, which is great. But most of my students, Students come from families where their parents have had to work through the pandemic. Um, so a lot of them have child care responsibilities with their younger brothers and sisters, um, all trying to Zoom. Maybe they have multiple devices. Maybe they don't. So they've just had a, a lot of challenges uh, educationally, but challenges in the family that have, have kind of impacted their ability to succeed educationally in this environment. So there yeah, quite a few challenges there. So Rob, how many children do you have currently in the AVID program? I shouldn't call them children because they're all young adults, right? <laughs> no, they're children. <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything that would put them off. I know my daughter wants to be a tween right now. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we have it at uh, AVID in the elementary schools, um, grades four through six at eight of our elementaries. And at that point, everybody gets access to AVID. And AVID at that point is really kind of literacy and organizational skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, then at the junior high and high school level, it becomes an elective program. Um, so at each of the junior highs, we have between one and two sections in both seventh and eighth grade. And at the high school level, we have basically two cohorts, roughly 60 kids per grade. So 230 to 240 kids at each of the high schools. Wow. Wow. Um, any specific stories you want to share about some of the challenges these students are facing? Uh, one of my students is basically raising a 13-month-old little sister because um, wow. mom's a nurse, has to work long hours. Um, many have had to travel with family as they take care of other family. Um, two of my students are cousins. They lost their grandma to COVID. So, yeah, there's just challenges across the board. And has there been anything that um, has worked in terms of reaching out to the kids in this current environment, either in the remote environment or um, the hybrid environment we find ourselves in now? Um, I feel like I have an advantage uh, being in the 
at the high school level, our kids stay with us for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I already know what they look like. Um, we've had a year basically together, uh, their freshman year. And so we're continuing a relationship that we started. Um, other teachers, like they physically wouldn't even know what their uh, students even look like if they ran across them um, until now we just recently started this hybrid thing. Uh, the hybrid is, is really good in some ways and the, the kids that really missed out on the social aspect of school um, they get to get that back, which is really nice, and you can see how much it means to some kids. The hybrid model, as as a as a as a teacher, is a challenge in that, like for example, at Dos Pueblos, on a given day there might be anywhere between one and twelve, fourteen kids in a classroom. The rest of the class is on Zoom, and so the t- everyone at the school is masked. Um, so teaching with a mask to kids in front of you and behind you on Zoom, with it being difficult for them to communicate with each other. Uh, is just logistically challenging. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, everything's di- more difficult in the pandemic. So um, we're just like everybody else. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a challenge. And I, I'm positive that there's no way, for example, if I teach math one, um, that I could possibly get across all the curriculum that I normally would. And that's going to affect us in the future. Like what, what if I'm a math two teacher? I can't assume that everybody in math one is ready for where I normally start with math two, but where are they? And different teachers might be in different spots. So, I mean, I think we're at the beginning of how this uh, has affected us. So Chelsea, from partners in education standpoint, um, what has been the change that you've seen in, in how you're offering your programs because of the, the pandemic? Well, we are a, a nonprofit that responds to school needs. And so when the, the, pandemic hit and the shutdown was was issued, we had to have a moment of pause and figure out what educators needed from us the most and how we would restructure some of our programs uh, that work directly with families or with students. And so when it came to working with teachers, we knew they were catching their breath. Uh, Typically, we are sending guest speakers into classrooms or we are uh, connecting tutors with classrooms directly, and you're going on site, and when this hit, obviously we couldn't do that anymore, and so there was some time uh, taken to figure out how we would logistically be connecting people virtually. Once that got up and running, uh, we we started doing that, so we have been able to support uh, teachers in the AVID program. We have been able to connect uh, tutors with small groups of students. It's definitely different, but uh, getting people connected virtually has been a silver lining because it's it has spread to other programming as well. Our Computers for Families program was one that from the onset of the pandemic has, has just expanded so much. We obviously saw a huge increase in need for devices families that were now at home and didn't have as much technology as maybe other families needed needed additional support. So we were providing free refurbished desktops, not only to students in lower elementary school grades, but we expanded to serve anyone who has the need. And that's still in place now. So if there are people listening that do have families or uh, people that they know still need a, a device, an extra device, or just uh, help troubleshooting internet issues. We have people, uh, bilingual staff, that are able to support that. And we also saw that people needed some additional tech support. So ju- not get, just getting a device wasn't enough. They then needed some assistance with with um, how do I get my students signed on to Zoom? What is this? 
What does this look like? And we would be able to walk people through some of those technical issues. We started setting up weekly sessions where uh, families could come in and learn specifically about online safety. We've set up one-on-one coaching sessions for families if they needed more personalized support. So we've been, it's almost like um, whack-a-mole. You see a new need pop up and we figure out a way to respond to that need. And that's kind of how programming feels like right now. With our internship program, internships were not happening in person. We created a a process for remote internships to happen. Now we have both, and we're going to move forward offering both in the future. So it it allows us to, I think, be more adaptable and stronger moving forward, no matter what what comes uh, with with, uh, ups and downs with the pandemic. And I'm really grateful for that uh, overall. I think there have been some silver linings despite the very real challenges. So where do you find volunteers for doing technical support, and can they come help me? <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a team member, uh, Walter Lariba. I think some people who have called in with Computers for Families know him very well, so I want to give him a shout-out because he's been with the organization for about 15 years and has really established some great trust and rapport with the community. And he um, has trained volunteers. We have an amazing partnership with UCSB, Westmont, we, where we have college age interns come in and and learn the ropes and are able to do outreach calls for us. We partnered with districts right at the beginning of the pandemic as well to identify families that had not yet gotten connected to internet and knew that if they didn't have this in place before virtual learning took place, they were going to be uh, experiencing a, a lot of delays and setbacks. So we got that the list of those people and helped with follow, with additional follow-up to try to make sure that we could, whatever issue they were encountering, we could help figure out. And we, all done with the help of these student workers, volunteers, uh, interns, and, and staff kind of jumping in where it was needed. We had, while we had some staff not able to be placing volunteers as much, they could, they could shift over and help with computers for families. So there's a lot of all hands on deck. That's fantastic. Now, one of the other challenges, not just the device, it's the connectivity and internet access. How did you solve for that problem? We have a great partnership with Cox with Cox in town to the point where if there's a, an issue that a family is encountering, we have a direct line of communication. We can email them, call them, let them know a specific family is struggling with an issue and they get they get back to us so that we can be that middle person mm-hmm. and and sometimes help tr- translate or interpret whatever the whatever might be the hurdle or the confusion for a family. We're working on developing those same relationships in other parts of the county with other internet service providers. So sometimes it's just a little uh, more explanation, mm-hmm. um, some walking them through the process that can feel very overwhelming on top of everything else that they're facing. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Cox, do they do free internet for certain families? Is, it's is discounted internet, but okay. they have lifted fees uh, various times throughout the throughout the pandemic, pandemic, and have made it a lot easier for families to access the discounted internet and at times free internet as well. That's fantastic. That's the kind of thing where it'd be nice to see that continue post pandemic. And, you know, technology changes every day and keeping the devices up to date and and all of that. So like you said, there's a silver lining here in that there's part of the pandemic that has uh, potentially provided some equity and at least access to technology and devices. But on the other hand, some of the things that Rob mentions make it challenging for 
all kids to have the same experience when they're Zooming from home if they're busy with child care with younger siblings or traveling like you mentioned. So Melinda, one of the things we're talking about here today is some of the challenges that um, COVID has placed on the educational system. Um, and you're working in a program where um, a lot of the programming you've been doing is to prevent things like summer learning loss, let alone the impacts of COVID. Talk to me a little bit about how United Way um, has had to change programming for things like Fun in the Sun. Um, you know, last year, I don't know if you were in person or if you still had to do remote. And, and talk to me about how that's going to change going into this year. The United Way has definitely had to modify every function of our organization to respond to the, the needs of the community during this pandemic. Um, one piece is through our rental and utility assistance programs and our grants that we've been providing, we've worked with families and witnessed firsthand how the repercussions of um, loss of work and wages and families who are suffering um, from just this huge financial loss where they can't put food on the table, how that's impacting students with their stress levels and their ability to concentrate. Um, and so it's, it's been a very interesting journey um, to work alongside districts and in the social service sector. Um, we started working with the districts last spring when everything hit, and United Way um, provides um, implementation support for two web-based literacy programs throughout the county um, in Lexia Core 5 and Reading Plus. And so we went from supporting 10,000 students a day to supporting 38,000 students a day. So basically within a week or two, we were having to support the usage and implementation across the county in various districts, some that we were familiar with and some that we weren't. And so reaching parents, I think, was one thing that we really struggled with. And for the first time, it was how do we bridge these barriers and how do we connect with families that aren't used to this, this technical world and don't have access or don't have the, the savviness. And, um, so that, that was one set of challenges. And I think the, the community and the county as a whole that really bonded together and, and leveraged different resources to connect with families was something that has been really wonderful to see. And I, and I think, and I have a feeling that that will continue. Um, and then for Fun in the Sun, it's a six-week summer learning and enrichment program. Um, and we went virtual last summer and it was difficult. And, um, you know, we missed our kids, but we had the support of the districts to kind of help us develop um, a, a program that was going to be just as impactful. Um, and what the districts told us was, yes, we're worried about their learning loss, but we really want this social-emotional aspect to be a focal point. We want our kids to be engaged. We want them to meet their peers and to feel a sense of community because a lot of them had felt disconnected and that they had lost that community. Um, so that was a, a real focal point for us, and we still maintained a lot of our partnerships with local engineers and workplaces and artists and, and dance instructors. We had yoga and performing arts, all virtual. Oh, wow. So it was a still great program, but um, we missed our kids and we missed our families and we missed that connection, and I know they did as well. Um, and so this year we're moving into an in-person program. We'll have six sites throughout the county. Um, but again, working with the districts, you know, we have to focus on this extreme learning loss because this is learning loss, not just from summer learning loss that occurs every year anyway um, from to, to students from low resource communities, but now it's compounded by this COVID learning loss. And so it's aligning our curriculum, our goals with the goals of our, of our host districts, 
Um, but again, it's it really is this focal point on the social emotional learning and and um, helping our kids once again adapt to being in person and building relationships in person and regulating their emotions and identifying those emotions and so we're we're really looking forward to this the in person programming. Um, I think another another thing that United Way has experienced and the community in large is um, how many students, as Rob was alluding to earlier the the just the inequities that have always existed in this community have been exacerbated and magnified by by mm -hmm. covid mm -hmm. and now it's being brought up to conversations that everyone are having mm -hmm. and so i think prior to the pandemic we knew that there were children living in poverty you know we knew that we were the second largest you know that the second highest poverty rate in california but nobody was was um, it wasn't common knowledge i think and and so for now to know that there are students who are forced to you know learn learn in the closet mm -hmm. for their virtual because for the virtual classes because they don't have enough space in their home or that there are homeless students who are living in their car and they're borrowing the wi-fi from starbucks mm -hmm. um, this is real and it's happening all of the time and it's in some ways i'm, I'm glad that these conversations are being had because as we go back to normal, these are not things that we can just turn away and say, okay, well, they're back in school and everything mm -hmm. is okay. These students are still living in, out of their vehicles and they're still living, you know, four families to a one-bedroom apartment. And so I think it's good to have these conversations that these students are resilient. They show up every day to school despite these circumstances. And it's our job to figure out how to support them now, but, you know, also into the future. Um, we established the Learning and Enrichment Centers in, in uh, partnership with nine different districts, and it provided all-day care for the most vulnerable students, the you know foster students, homeless students, students with extreme economic um, need, and you know it was a it's a wonderful thing to be able to see the kids go to a safe and supportive learning environment. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also been a, a, a huge learning experience for us and our partner organizations who have been been providing these services because, um, again, these, these students are so resilient and they've overcome a lot, but now it's our responsibility to say, you know, um, you've made it, we've all made it, and the light is at the end of the tunnel, but how can we continue to support students so they can achieve? Yeah, I, I wanted to just add to what Belinda was saying. That there's so many levels, and some of them are obvious on day one uh, when we went virtual. Like, I have friends who have enough um, wealth to work remotely from home, um, hire a tutor to work with their one, two, three kids, whatever, during the day to assist them um, in doing everything they need to do. And like I said, others are not only they don't have someone there working with them, they are the, they are the tutors um, and trying to learn themselves. And there's just and that's just like the very beginning of the inequity. Um, but there's so many levels to it, and, and that's even once you get kids that are sheltered. Um, but when you're talking about the really, really vulnerable ones that are homeless or foster kids or really abusive households, like what do they, there are just so many challenges on so many levels, and like I said, it was apparent from day one. Yeah, some of our partner organizations um, for the Learning and Enrichment Centers, um, some of the stories were just heartbreaking, but it also... Um, shine the light on how schools are a safe haven for kids. Mm -hmm. And our one of our partners at the Police Activities League 
they had a, um, a pair of siblings, their home environment was just not safe for them. And they were terrified, but they were stuck. Like they were sequestered in a very unsafe, unhealthy environment. And all these kids wanted was to get out. And so when the learning and enrichment centers were established and it allowed that, you know, that safe space, they were logging on and they were doing things. But I think we forget sometimes or we don't want to pay attention or it's too hard to, to, to listen to the stories all the time. But, you know, there are kids who have really been unsafe and in unhealthy environments. And, and so schools now back opening up, it's wonderful to know that those safe places are there. But, you know, I think another focal point is this social emotional mm-hmm. healing that mm-hmm. needs to take place because it's been scarring and it's been traumatic in some instances for, for some kids. So going back to the, the technology and the, you know, the, the solutions we've had to leverage over this last year to keep things going, Chelsea, talk to me a little bit about um, maybe anything that you're seeing with your families um, in being in this technological environment and, you know, it's harder to relate. Um, It's harder to show empathy and our kids have gotten so used to screens and not real in-person learnings. What sort of programs um, do you offer that could support those kinds of um, issues going into the summer or going into next school year? Um, or any sort of partnerships that you have um, uh, with your teachers? Well, we respond in a lot of ways to what teacher teachers are the experts. And mm-hmm. so we are wanting to bring in the resources from the community to support their vision for their students. And so on one hand, our programs are very much designed to be responsive to changing needs in schools. So if, uh, if there's a summer school program, for example, that wants to focus more on social-emotional healing or just catching people up uh, on on social cues or the things that we've missed this past year, we would be able to work with our volunteers to figure out a, a, a new way for us to get them, them in. So maybe it's a series of, of talks or some coaching sessions. So what's the, the beauty and what I, I love so much about our work is that we're able to adapt and evolve our services mm-hmm. to the environment. Um, most often we have people coming in as guest speakers or tutoring, but there's, there's so many other ways that the community really wants to get in, engaged mm-hmm. and provide uh, their, their knowledge and expertise and, and connect with students. We also have our internship program, which has, we hope, been this type of haven that Melinda talks about. Uh, we were, it, it's been done virtually, but it, weekly these students have been able to meet with career coaches who act as mentors, who help them develop job skills such as your resume, communication skills, talking through their career goals, and it, this is all done in small groups. And so this weekly, this weekly session has been a place for them to talk, explore their ideas, talk about their dreams, and I could see that being a model for um, us to grow upon and, and expand and, and try other, other ways of, of getting these kind of mentors in, in place to, to serve students and, and support teachers in their goals. That's great. And you know that that one-on-one or, or even you know, five-on-one is, is so much easier than trying to look at a computer screen with you know, 20, 30, 40 kids. One last question for each of you uh, with regard to uh, education in general. Um, how, Chelsea, do you think the community could better support your programs and what you're trying to do and the things you're going to be faced with over the, the coming months and years? 
I think number one, know that there's a place for you. There's a there's a role that you can play. I also want to, in my response to that question, go back to something Melinda said about how important it is that we're having these conversations. I think another way to support the community is to not let these conversations stop, mm -hmm. to not let us go back to what we think is normal, and to recognize that that so many of these students have always needed this this extra level of support and now even more students are facing obstacles and are going to to need this type of support and so i think continuing to push ourselves to learn and better understand what students are going through just to give you an example there are so many times we say we might say about a stu about a group of students that they don't seem motivated or we don't know why why they don't care and and i think that on a, a deeper level we are all collectively understanding what that might really be about mm -hmm. and that it's not about a lack of motivation or desire to participate in school they may just not have the tools or the support or the infrastructure in place to even show up in the way that other students are able to show up and just knowing that is something that i think community members uh, will allow them to, to play a much more impactful role in whatever they do. And where can people go to find out more information about Partners in Education and all that you're doing? Partners.sbceo.org. We have a volunteer sign-up form, a list of current volunteer opportunities, and we will very happily find a way for you to plug in. That's fantastic. Uh, so let's move to Melinda. Same question. How can the community better support what United Way is doing, and uh, how can they find out more information about your programs? Well, Chelsea's made beautiful statements, and so I would agree with everything she said. <laughs> I echo those sentiments. Um, and I would just say, you know, that we are stronger together than we are apart. And through this pandemic, new partnerships have emerged, and I think we've been able to leverage community resources better than we ever have before. And there is no silver bullet. So no one organization can solve all the problems, and so we really do need to continue to work in support of one another and, and we're not in competition with one another. There's amazing resources, people, expertise. And so just to continue to work together. So having conversations, reaching out, um, offering what resources you have, I think, you know, working strategically that way and to continue to collaborate, I think is key moving forward. Great. And how can people find out more about United Way? Oh, yeah, the most important part. Yes, there you go. Uh, you can go to our website at unitedwaysb.org. Okay, now, Rob, to you, what about what about what your students might need from the community to, to get us through the next of what is to come? There's a lot. Um, yeah. But one thing is obvious is that we're just, it's a constant fundraising um, battle mm -hmm. in that uh, the school district kicks in about $1.2 a year to run our program between, like, the sections of AVID that we have at the junior highs and the high school between professional development for teachers, um, paying for uh, us to meet together and strategize. And one of, the, one of the most looked forward to experiences that uh, kids in AVID have both in the junior highs and the high schools is that they get to take uh, field trips to colleges and universities. Mm. So typically in seventh and eighth grade, we just actually added a seventh grade trip last year, which is really cool. They do a day trip. Uh, the eighth graders um, have, in some cases, done an overnight trip, which is pretty cool. A bunch of 12 and 13-year-olds in a hotel um, have fun. Um, and then at the high school level, we do overnight trips. So typically, 10th grade, um, we take 
the kids to uh, down south to LA and San Diego schools, and they see anywhere between six and nine schools. Uh, we stay, stay one night in San Diego, and then junior year is our big trip where we go for the Bay Area, and we see anywhere between 10, 13, 14 schools. Um, obviously, we're paying for hotels, we're paying for buses, uh, we're paying for food. Um, but at the same time, like it's so valuable because I think a lot of the kids in our program and, and kids outside of our program also just never think or have ever conceived of the fact that college could be for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually physically setting foot on a college campus or on multiple college campuses where they see kids that are like them and kids that aren't like them and um, just kind of see the opportunities that actually are out there for them if they take advantage um, are just invaluable. And um, we weren't able to travel for the most part last year, obviously not able to travel this year. So we've done a ton of virtual college tours and Mm -hmm. I will give a shout out to the colleges. They've done a pretty good job in putting together virtual tours. It's just not the same thing. So as soon as we can, we want to go back to that. And um, we have uh, people who have foundations who have donated um, just the field trips alone run about fifty-five to sixty thousand thousand dollars a year, uh, and we want to pass on as little of that cost to our families as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's always um, a, a very specific and obvious need that we have. So, Rob, where can they find more information about Avid and, and the program needs? Uh, each of the secondary schools has uh, on their own websites. They have an Avid section. They can also just reach out to me at rshiff s c h i f f at sbunified.org, and I'd love to talk to them about our program. Fantastic. Well, that's going to be a wrap for today's session. Um, our next session, we will be focusing on financial literacy and how we can deal with um, the, the challenges of COVID and continue to offer those types of programs for our students. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.